Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to yet another episode of Your Own Personal Beatles. I am Jack Pelling and with me as always is... It's Mr. Robin Allender here. Hey man, how are you doing? Yeah, good. Yes, how are you? I'm not too bad. Uh, we're sort of pre-recording these links because I'm about to go on holiday in about half an hour, so if they're a bit rushed, I'm very sorry. And Where are you going? I'm going to uh, Sicily. Don't be which... so silly. <laughs> oh, thanks. Good one, Dad. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I love Sicily. It's brilliant. Make sure you have a lovely ice cream. Have you ever seen... Um, have you ever watched Chef's Table? Um, I've seen a couple of them. There's a really good one about a Sicilian uh, gelato maker. Oh, it's nice. Brilliant. OK, maybe I'll watch that on the, on the plane. So this week we're chatting to a fantastic guest, uh, Christian Madden, who is an incredible keyboard player and plays in the touring band and has recorded records with Liam Gallagher, as well as some other people, uh, including Daniel Johnston. And, uh, and you played in bands with them as well, didn't you? Yeah, so I joined a band called The Revival Hour, about eight years ago and did a couple of tours of them. Revival Hours formed out of John Mark Clapham and Christian Madden, who played in the earlys, who were around around the sort of mid-noughties. Mm-hmm. They were sort of like band. transatlantic band, weren't they? Yeah, American singer, and they were all based in Man- but they were all based in Manchester, kind of big band on stage. It was great. They were a really cool band, kind of just a range of influences, quite beta bandy, I guess. Yeah, cool. And but yeah, I joined um, I met Christian through the Revival Hour and yeah, he's an incredible musician. And we've got some mutual friends as well. Like, because he's from Burnley, the first time I met him, I was like, oh, do you know Tom Wilson and Sean Canton? He was like, yeah, I went to school with them. <laughs> I don't know if that's the a Burnley thing. Yeah, and we do hear some music that he's played with a couple of uh, Burnley pals. Um, in lockdown, mm. they did a really cool cover of Eleanor Rigby, which we'll play a little yeah, snippet of. Yeah, that's brilliant. Um, yeah, and he also is a massive Beatles fan, so we talked to him a lot about his sort of formative Beatles memories. Um, specifically, mm. we talked quite a bit about Billy Preston and Nicky Hopkins and their work yeah. sort of playing keys for the Beatles. And he also talks quite a lot about um, his touring days with Liam Gallagher and what it's like to record at Abbey Road on some of those old cool instruments with Liam, Liam's singing voice, Lennon's influence on Liam, which is massive. Um, yeah. And he talks a bit about um, playing with Daniel Johnson too, which was really interesting, who's also yeah, a that was great. fan. Yeah, of course, yeah. So that was, that, that was lovely, that was a lovely story. So there's loads of great stuff to look forward to, but before we start that, is there any other stuff on the agenda today? Well, I just want to give a shout out to a man I met in Forest Hill, London, yesterday, who just stopped me in the street to say he was really enjoying the podcast. Oh, which fantastic. Is, was one of the weirdest things that's ever happened. So thanks, Toby. So he asked me if I had a recommendation for a Beatles book to get into the Beatles. So I, of course, recommended Revolution in the Head. <laughs> yeah, great choice. <laughs> which is a kind of go-to. 
but that was great and quite surreal. Fantastic. Oh, well, thank you for listening, Toby. Um, oh. I mean, we're recording a bit early this week, so we don't have much in the way of correspondence, but we did get something that dropped into our inbox in the early hours of this morning, um, and it says, for the attention of Robin Allender. So this is oh, in- God. intriguing. It's not a court summons. <laughs> no, if it, um, it says... Hi, Robin. Long-time listener, first-time emailer. Uh, for fear of repercussions, I would ask that you respect my anonymity. So far, so ominous. Um, I am one of Jack's oldest and most handsome friends. Okay, I think from the off that we know that he's either drunk or an imposter because I don't have any handsome friends. But um, <laughs> unfortunately for Jack, the longevity of our friendship is an Achilles heel, especially given my exceptional memory and Jack's weak bladder which is unfortunately true, but I don't know what it's got to do with anything. But um, he says, I was slightly taken aback by Jack's strong views on people who are critical of Ringo Starr's drumming. Uh, From 2011 to 2018, Jack would regularly use the phrase, he is the Ringo of the Beatles, using it as shorthand for being lucky or at least uh, or the least talented member of a group. Uh, After the umpteenth time Jack had used this phrase, I recall with exceptional, if not borderline, photographic memory, querying Jack about the overused statement, to which Jack stated, well, Ringo was lucky to be in the Beatles. He is not the greatest drummer in the world. Hmm, right, we'll Right. come on to this at the end. Um, so you can imagine the horror of Jack's hypocrisy in last week's episode and the vilification <laughs> of who... But of can I just, who, just press pause a second? You, you don't know this person. I've got a pretty good idea who it is, yeah. Oh, right, but it's anonymous. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, okay. So he says, I make this intervention with a heavy heart, but feel it's in the public interest to call out such double standards and the only Mm. way to ensure the integrity of the podcast. Yours faithfully, Jack's delusional and drunk friend. Um, I mean, (laughs) I put that bit in. Um, I mean, to be honest, yeah, I do know who this person is. And considering most of my conversations about the Beatles usually take place between the hours of sort of 11 and p.m. and 3 a.m., there is definitely a lot of things. that, And it might be something that I had to say, but also I feel like I need to issue a pretty strong and frank rebuttal to these slanderous allegations. (laughs) Um, In that, yeah, I've never said that Ringo is the best drum in the world. And anyone who's in the Beatles is lucky to be in the Beatles because it's the right. Beatles. But, yeah, yeah, maybe technically he's not uh, a John Bonham or a Barry Moore Barlow. Well, it wouldn't have worked with that, would it? And what I he guess. does, you know, Ringo's brilliance and his influence comes from a lot more than the technical aspects of his drumming. You know, it's what the way that he drums complements songs in such a brilliant mm. way. He's such a key part of the songwriting process. Yeah, and the great thing about... Ringo's drumming as well, is particularly in the early stuff, in those rock and roll songs, there's a slight swing to yeah. the way he plays, which is really, really distinctive and brilliant. Yeah, and the way that he sort of, the relationship between his drumming and Paul McCartney's bass playing mm. is the, you know, the rock and the foundation. And we, we've said it before, but if you listen to the difference between the Beatles playing with their earlier drummers and the, yeah. and what happened when Ringo walked into the room, and they all talk about it, you know, as this mm-hmm. sort of magic light bulb moment. So, yeah. speaking of that, though, like, I mean, if you're going to pick oneself up on controversial musical opinions, one said, my friend Phil started listening to the podcast, and he said he remembered in, a, in our first year at university, I said I didn't like the Beatles because they were too popular. <laughs> uh, um, and, I, and I also said that Craig David would be seen as this generation's uh, Marvin Gaye. Uh, so, right, you know, okay. one out of two ain't bad, so there you go. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm not going to... I'm not going to sort of defend... I mean, to be fair, I did 
you know, I, this is obviously the mad ramblings of a man entering the second week of quarantine with two children under three. Um, right. <laughs> if it is you. And, but to, to be fair, I did actually edit out a section of last week's show that where I sort of, I listened back to it and I realised that my anecdote about the circumstances of getting into DJ Shadow um, was completely false memory and actually oh, it really? was the other way around. So I actually uh, took that bit out because I knew this person would write in. Oh, uh, <laughs> really? written in anyway. Christ. Um, so That's funny. there we go. I, I, was, I also, um, I've had a few messages and things on the social meds. Um, people saying, because we should do an episode where we talk about covers of Beatles songs. Yeah. Uh, which would be quite interesting. And, you know, I was thinking about... Breeders cover of Happiness is a Warm Gun, Susie and the Banshees covering Dear Prudence. We should talk about some of those. Did you see Idols covering Helter Skelter? I did, yeah, I saw that, yeah. Yeah. Um, someone, what was that, someone was posting about that the other day and another couple of Idols covers that they did this week. Um, yeah. And like coming on from the John Ronson episode, there's been quite a lot of tri- Twitter discussion about the Fiona Apple version of uh, yes. Across the Universe and the Bowie version. Lovely. Um yeah. I really like the Fiona Apple version, actually. I don't think yeah. I'd heard it that much before. And speaking of covers, but of a slightly different meaning, I had another message um, saying, asking us about our favourite album covers. Oh, and okay. This is my friend Drew. Drew's the one who, I think, who um, says he doesn't like any Beatles song recorded after Revolver. <laughs> Completely insane. <laughs> uh, but his favourite album cover is Revolver, which is a classic. But what's your favourite album cover? Um, I mean, this is all kind of uh, tied into the uh, lockdown puzzle extravaganza. So, yeah. Um, I mean, my favourite cover is obviously is Sgt Pepper. I mean, I right. remember as a Can kid. Can I just shock you? Yeah. <laughs> With the Beatles. Well, what, the one of them just in a line? Yeah, but Ringo's underneath. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. It just looks, it's something so, it's a very iconic image. Mm. And it's weirdly unbalanced. Because that one head's lower. I mean, that's I just almost it. a controversial Beatles opinion. Yeah, but fine. Great. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, there's no puzzle of that. No. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, and I, you know, the, the Peter Blake cover of Sergeant Pepper is there's so much to look at, and I love everything about the way the record was that was packaged, mm. and because it was the first sort of vinyl that I ever listened to, I love the card inlays and the little key telling you who all the little people were and stuff, and. Yeah. And also, I mean, there's no album that looks anything like that before it. You know, it was no, all part and parcel right. of them kind of event- inventing the idea of the LP as they went along. So, yeah, yeah, that would have to be my answer, really. Fair enough. That's a good answer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, on with the show. Here's Christian Madden. Um, we'll be back at the end with a little bit of gubbins. But just to do the general sort of housekeeping, um, if you have any correspondence and you want to share any stories or any personal Beatles uh, memories from your you know, formative Beatles years, you can get in touch at personalbeatles.com forward slash contact. You can follow us on social media at personalbeatles on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. And if you want to help us out supporting the show, um, then you can contribute to some of the overheads by going to personalbeatles.com forward slash donate. And thank you so much for everyone who has done that over the last month. Um, It's really, really appreciated and it does you know really help and give us the opportunity to sort of keep on going so thank you so much yeah thank you very much so here is christian madden how you doing christian thank you so much for agreeing to join us my pleasure um anything to fill the days 
<laughs> yeah, how has your lockdown been in general? I know you've had quite a lot of gigs cancelled and stuff. And yeah, with, uh, a lot Liam of gigs cancelled. Um, I've not, you know, living quite healthy, um, eating a lot less, drinking a lot less, going for walks along the River Ribble, homeschooling. Lovely. Are you playing more or less music, do you reckon? I practice every day. Uh, so it's good in that way, actually. Being on tour sometimes means you only get near your instrument for half an hour every three days or something. So, you know, I do something every day. And then I've been doing loads of these lockdown video jams where you send somebody, you know, something off your phone with you playing keyboards on. And they, I mean, everyone's nice. doing it, so it's not interesting. <laughs> no, that's good. I find I'm drinking more in lockdown. To be yeah, honest. well, it depends. It, it depends whether you're homeschooling your children or not. Because if <laughs> yeah. you do that drunk, you're called a bad parent. <laughs> well, I started tutoring online to kind of make pissed. It a... well, oh, no, can you swear but... on this? Just quick check. Yeah, uh, but I, I find yeah. Well, no, I find myself like going, "Oh God, I've had two lessons today," and then just cracking open a can as if I've had a really hard day's work. What's your uh, can of choice on this? Oh, Stella's four forty mil. 90s, yeah, yeah. 90s style. Yeah, sorry. Great. You, but you're not, you're not really a drink big drinker at home, are you? You're kind of you're no. Pop, I don't really. I, I can't get pissed. Well, I can. I, I was going to say I can't get pissed in houses, but I must be able to. <laughs> <laughs> it's not. It's not a specialist skill. <laughs> no. Mm. I say something. It doesn't feel like the, uh, the that it's doing out to me when I'm in a house, but right. But it must do. Yeah, it's got to be doing it <laughs> on some level. Yeah. Sorry, Jack, I interrupted your segue there. With the, yeah. No, not at all. I was just going to ask you about, because um, you've been doing those YouTube things, and that was quite a neat little segue into a version of Eleanor Rigby that you did. Oh, yeah. That did, yeah, so yeah, I played that with a bunch. The other three lads who I did that with uh, used to do a Beatles. In fact, they've done loads of Beatles tributes between them. Cool. Um, who, so who was that then? They're all Burnley lads. Uh, there was one, Chris Lewis, who's been uh, Ringo in... Uh, many a lineup. Danny Andley um, has, has been Paul, John, and George. Uh, he was playing guitar on it, and then Scott Whitley. Yeah, he used to run um, what the, the Cheetles. Yeah. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah, Clever. good. Yeah. But there were only three of them, so they were cheating. Yeah, but they were very, very good. The harmonies were brilliant. So that's cool. So, what did you uh, find playing Eleanor Rigby? Like, is there anything you like notice and love about the chords or anything like that? You know. On a technical level, it's simpler than than you think when you're listening to that string arrangement. Actually, yeah. I mean, I've heard loads of versions of it, but it, it still it still stands up, doesn't it? It stands yeah. it stands up when you pull all that string arrangement out of it, which is really a testament to its quality. Really, it's a good enough melody on its own, isn't it? when you're all in separate houses on different uh, well i came on last so all <laughs> uh, right so you just <laughs> put in the tringly bits <laughs> yeah yeah um so i think i think danny actually just put down put down something uh, the, the singer who was playing guitar put down something strong enough that sort of 
everybody else just picked up off that really you know and then he sent me a message saying to double him up at some point and take a little bit of a lead line here and there so nice well it's yeah. a wicked version if people want to hear it they can go to youtube.com and uh, just search for uh, <laughs> Ellen Rigby yeah. it's a great yeah. site there's a lot of stuff on there yeah yeah um, some terrible stuff on there <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what do you remember what the first Beatles song you ever learned to play on the keyboard was? Play? Uh, I, I know the first, uh, well, solo one would be Imagine, because um, that's obviously, you know, not too hard on the piano. Um, mm. I don't remember learning an awful lot of them. I did have a Beatles keyboard book when I was about 13 or 14 where it was hold a chord in your left hand with the auto rhythm on. Yes, I had that and too. And play the melody. Yeah. So I learned, like, I remember playing here, there, and everywhere. Wow. Yeah. Uh, anything you play by McCartney, actually, because they're, they're all, you know, uh, Lennon's melodies tend to be a little bit focused around one note or two notes. Yeah, they're very, uh, there's a lot of kind of scent, like, da, da, here. Yeah, yeah. Here, there's a lot of that. Mm, Something yeah. like Julia's just basically one note. And, yeah. Um, whereas McCartney, it tends to swoop up and down the octave, so. Yeah. Uh, they're great to play on any instrument, aren't they? Mm. As are his mm. bass lines. So I remember going through a few of them, and then when I started actually learning the keyboard parts of things, Imagine would have been an early one of those. And Jealous Guy, actually. Mm. Yeah, that's a good one to play. And then when I was about uh, 19, I was in Denny Lane's band, Out of, the, out of Wings. And, uh, and then wow. I had to learn loads of McCartney's solo ones. So I did actually do a lot of the solo career stuff as well. Cool. Did they ever play? Did Danny Lane ever play Penny Lane? I mean, I'm sure I'm not the first. <laughs> he didn't, to... but he used to murder Black Blackbird. Um, yeah, <laughs> he did a terrible version of that. Right. Every night. Crikey! If he's listening, it was shit. <laughs> <laughs> I doubt he is. <laughs> but um, so they were. Did were they performing as Wings after Wings finished? Like well, doing old Wings. I mean, Linda was... only the band that Wings could have been. Yeah. Well. <laughs> There's, a, there's an agent around here, a ruthless agent in Clitheroe called Pete Barton, who I think did put wings on all the all the posters. <laughs> <laughs> but he said, well, as far as I know, Band on the Run was Paul McCartney and Wings, and Linda's died, and it's Paul McCartney and Wings, and Denny Lane's the only other person on the album, so he is Wings. <laughs> They're like, just, you know, this logic allowed him to... <laughs> yeah, yeah sell it as whatever he wanted but uh i had to learn like a lot of mccartney keyboard parts in that and uh and there's always these octaves rolling all the way through in the left hand part and that sort of unlocks the playing style for you so if you're doing mm. something like um lady madonna it sounds yeah. more complicated than it is because is that right because mm. i was always, i was we were talking Martha about this idea as well yeah i was gonna say that one but this, we we're talking about this idea of how proficient the beatles got so quickly yeah, you, you know, to me, McCartney's playing on Lady Madonna and Martha My Dear sounds incredibly technical, but it's probably actually not, isn't it? And I'm just hearing it as a guitarist. It's, it's very good, uh, yeah. but it, it, I mean, it's clever. It, it, that that left hand part's just going all the way through. It's just octaves like a bass player would play on a disc. Yeah, record. exactly. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah. But the way the right hand sort of has the um, spacing and rests in it, mm. and the left hand then pokes through, and it makes it sound more. Com complicated and sort of contrapunctal than it, yeah, than it is because for, for your for your head to play it, it's really easy. You know, so. What does uh, contrapuntal mean? Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> two, uh, two separate melodies. 
Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah right. That's um, nice. I might use that because I'm teaching guitar at the moment. And I'm kind of like <laughs> using these, t- I'm kind of like sometimes like uh you know explaining yeah. something and having to google it at the same time well that's all right what, yeah. so long as you've got you know a good game face for when you're yeah, actually reading exactly. a, a wikipedia yeah. entry but trying to <laughs> maintain eye contact with a student yeah you can get away with it so what's yeah. so when you learned to play those songs so, so did you already have the knowledge of the beatles then so what's your kind of first memory uh, of listening I, to I, I was just think when you told me to think about this this podcast beforehand i was like I was trying to remember my introduction to him, and I, I sort of concluded that I, I, I think I knew the Beatles before I even knew what music was or cared what it was. Because right. I, I remember that moment when you start really being into music and recording the charts on a Sunday night, and that like it was Madonna that did that for me. Mm. So when I heard Into the Groove, yeah, then I, mm. you know, then I, I was interested in all music from that point on. But I would yeah. have already been. A Beatles fan before that, mm. we had that. So was it was that just kind of from os- osmosis, like your parents? Yeah, parents? but they didn't even have loads of it around the house. They used to have that rock and roll compilation. Oh, yeah, yeah, my parents. Where there's a sort of drawing of them on the front, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> laughing in Beatle gear. Yeah. Um, and then when I was about six or so, I think I bought my dad Sergeant Pepper for his Christmas present. My mum suggested to me that would be a good Christmas present for him. We nice. got it. I mean, I was confused because that sounds like another band's name. It's like, no, it is. Yeah. <laughs> right. And they're yeah. dressed up as this band. Yeah. Marketing and then nightmare. that's completely different from these rock and roll mop top ones. Yeah, yeah. And then when I was at junior school, I remember me and Sean Canty used to play The Beatles. At, at, that was our game at dinner time. And we'd pretend <laughs> to be The Beatles. And, and like we'd pretend to get shot. Like, Get you know, shot. like you'd play, you'd play Transformers, you know, and one of you'd be Optimus Prime. And so we're playing the Beatles. Who are you? I'm John. Watch out, John. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that kind of game. We had no idea about the circumstances Christ. of his death other than, you know, he got shot. And that was part yeah. of our, our dinner time game. Wow. Uh, I saw awesome. Sean Canty the other day in the, because he was, um, he, Jack, if you don't know, he plays in a band called Dem Dyke Stare. And he played oh, at Cafe Oto um, just before lockdown, I think. So I saw him then, and it was very good and very engrossing. But it's, right. I wouldn't put, having known Sean for a while, I, I, like I sort of, I do have this weird distance of the type of music he is, which is very like wire reader kind of esoteric droney stuff. You know, he was definitely, you know, he started out a Beatles fan like everybody. You know, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Canty <laughs> so used to come round to my house when we were about thirteen. I mean, so that was the second wave of. Beatle discovery, you know, and then we used to just there'd be about four of us sat in my bedroom and we'd just listen to Sergeant Pepper all the way wow. through on vinyl, and nobody was allowed to speak. <laughs> so we did that a couple of times a week when we were thirteen wow. or fourteen. Which I mean, at the time as well, now like everybody's into everything all the time because of how streaming platforms and playlists and all that work, mm. but. You know, if you were listening to the Beatles version of Strawberry Fields instead of Candy Flip when we yeah, were yeah. teenagers, then you were just an idiot, you know, <laughs> yeah. just a a Luddite pillock. So. Yeah. But there was you that know. kind of thing where, like, say, like a band like the Stone Roses, like yeah. they, their kind of Beatlesiness came about because, like, a lot of the albums were kind of pressed on, you know, were available on CD for the first time around the time. Yeah, yeah. Been I suppose so. so. 
So like the idea that it wasn't always just readily available at the click of the button is kind of quite important, isn't it? It was like yeah, to yeah. go through my dad's records and find this one. I was like, I mean, I I would have always thought I knew everything about them, and then you start your own proper personal discovery of them as a teenager, and then you start finding things that you didn't even know that they'd written. Like you might have mm-hmm. sang Octopus's Garden and Maxwell Silver Hammer and all together now at school <laughs> assembly. And like, yeah. they did that one as well. Like all of those <laughs> yeah, children's yeah. songs. Yeah. yeah. And I don't think I knew they did Let It Be. I'd heard that somewhere else. And, yeah. you know. I, I think because I'm a bit a little bit younger than you two. And for my generation, I found a few people that got into the White Album quite a lot later than all the others because it was so prohibitively expensive. <laughs> When it got <laughs> released on CD, because it always used to be about forty quid. I got it. I got it on cassette at a, you know, a low point in cassette prices. So yeah, I might have got it for about eight quid or something. But yeah, so that for me was a bit of a pain in the ass. But then I got to rediscover it in my sort of probably only really listened to it properly when I was like eighteen, nineteen years old. So have you had many records that you've then reassessed in that way? What was like the last, I mean, most recent Beatles record that you got into that like passed you by? None of them really passed me by because uh, as, a, as a teenager, I, I sort of followed them through chronologically again, which I did with a lot of older bands that I got into. Um, I'd, I'd buy them one by one in the order they came out. Um, so when I was maybe... 13 or 14, I think I went out and bought Please Please Me for myself. I, I, I've gotten into all these re-releases they've done over the last few years, the um, yeah, updated amazing, stereo versions and stuff. Yeah. We were actually, we were in Abbey Road recording with Liam um, wow. for the first album. And I came out of the room to go to the toilet and I bumped into two producers who I'd worked with on something else. And they just said, oh, Christian, um, just follow us for a minute. And I was like, oh, why? And they said, just just honestly, just follow us. We went into this room and they were listening to the Dolby Atmos mix of Sgt. Pepper for the, wow. like it was the oh, world nice. premiere of it. Nobody had heard it before. Amazing. So there were 64 speakers around the walls and we just listened to this new version of it. Um, Christ. And were you straight back to your bedroom, age 13? <laughs> it was amazing the way right. the way it pulled out because they'd managed to get hold of the um, all the original four tracks that they'd bounced down from. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So was this the Giles Martin kind of? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They managed to sort of separate things out like never before, hadn't they? And yeah. yeah. There's loads of stuff that sounds like it's been added. Yeah, yeah it does, yeah. yeah. Stereo mixers were such an afterthought because... Um, Mono was everything, and like mm. the YTS lad got left to do a, a stereo mix quick because there was like this new novelty format out. So yeah, the Beatles kind of signed off on things in mono, and then this guy would just pan all the drums left and put the vocals right and everything, and, and it was that, and that's the stereo. Yeah, yeah. We know, right? You know, but yeah, yeah. Which, if you had a Ford Escort with only one set of speakers working, meant that you got a pretty weird version of Revolver on cassette. Yeah, <laughs> in a pub I worked in, I I used to put music on, and they had the left speaker in one room and the right speaker in the other. So like, you yeah, just hear Paul that... McCartney's voice and a tambourine or something. And... <laughs> yeah, yeah, and there was also like loads of very speed in instructions seemed to have gotten lost. Like, so yeah. she's leaving home was um, a semitone down on the stereo version. Oh uh, right, yeah. So there was I remember listening to a Giles Martin interview where he said they did have to do some kind of tech digital kind of speeding up and stuff to kind of mimic the 
Ferris yeah. feeding stuff. And I mean, the, the, all, all of those projects, though, they've been brilliant and, and they've been sensitively done. It's not like someone's gone gung-ho on it. No, definitely. Yeah. yeah, they sort of take just enough liberties to get away with it and stay true to it. Yeah, like... they're informed liberties, aren't they, though? It's like, yeah, exactly. I think this is what they meant. Yeah. <laughs> which, yeah. You know, they, some people would argue against. Yeah. That um, Abbey Road one that's just come out, Scott. I don't know if it's just come out. Yeah, last year, I think, for the 50th, wasn't it? Yeah, that's got some real stuff on it. Mm. I mean, one thing I wanted to ask you about that actually specifically was, have you heard the version uh, that they did at Trident of I Want You with Billy Preston, where um, someone comes down and tells them to shut up? Because uh, yeah, it's yeah. like two I'll in the morning, <laughs> and then they're going. He's like, right, we'll play one more, and it just goes up, off at the end into this like they play the sort of you know really heavy end bit with Billy Preston on the hammered organs, which and just goes around and around. It's like the most incredible key playing, and it's just it goes. I think it's better than the version that's actually on the record, which is probably a yeah, bit yeah. to say. But um, as a keyboard player who was into the Beatles, what the, when Billy Preston sort of turns up on that journey, is that something that you like leapt out of you? It was like. Ah, uh, right, okay. Yeah, he's, he, I mean, he really is an unbelievable player. And it's like, like like nothing that anybody who was playing keyboards in this country would have even understood at that time because, you know, they just wouldn't have heard gospel players like that. And he was he was really sensitive on the Beatles stuff. He doesn't over-egg over, over it, really, but like... Yeah, I think they encouraged him to sort of come out more and more on that, those Let It Be sessions. yeah. That um, the, on the Let It Be Naked sessions, there's a, a really nice version of the Long and Winding Road because McCartney always hated Phil Spector's yeah, yeah. strings on it, didn't he? And uh, there's a bit where Billy Preston just does this really cute little road solo, which a child could probably play, but it's it's beautiful, you know. <laughs> younger and i found out who billy preston was through all that i started finding bits of his vinyl albums and yeah like um greasy soul and or greasy soul mm. and you know billy's bag have you ever heard that no i didn't know that no, uh, i don't think so i'll check it out it's, it's cool yeah <laughs> I love his version. He did it in the, um, at the George Harrison tribute concert at Royal Albert Hall oh, just my after sweet he died. Lord and he plays that. that version of My Sweet Lord, which is just nuts. Yeah, oh, that's yeah. amazing. So when you were at Obi Road, did you get to play any of the like hallowed influence, instruments that are still there? I know that the piano yeah, is still I've, I've there. Yeah, I've recorded and... that twice. And uh, the, the piano that I was on in the room, I, I was thinking, this must be it. This must be it. And it's got to be what they've used on. Anyway, I found out later. I think John had used it on a day in the life. So they're, they're not they're, they're not precious about any any of the, the the kit that's in there. It's all just it's functional still. You yeah, know. It's yeah. Not like it's museum. Pieces, Does it make you but, play differently knowing that? Uh, I found that out afterwards. Oh, right, the, okay. the first time I went in, in fact, no, both times I've been in. I think I've been in Studio Two. So the big famous one is. Oh, no, it's two. The Two's the one. one they did most of their stuff in, yeah. That's Sergeant Pepper and yeah. all that. That's the massive one. Yeah. So I've been in three, and I was like, oh, so they didn't do anything. <laughs> so close, but yeah. no cigar. <laughs> and then the guy said, well, no, the big one, the famous one's two. They did Sergeant Pepper in there. I was like, oh, well. And he said, they did do Revolver in here. 
like, oh, right, well, that, 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 that's something. Yeah. <laughs> hardly yeah, nothing, yeah. is it, the revolver room? Yeah. I think the Mellotron's still there as well, the, the uh, Strawberry Fields Mellotron. I didn't get a go on that. Uh, the Hammond's an RT3, and I think they've always had that, so I, I imagine that's the one that's been used on. That's quite a rare Hammond for people to use as a RT3. It's like mm. it's bigger than a B3 or a C3. Yeah. It's got it's got a full church pedal board, which most of them don't have. So, what's your kind of setup for playing live with Liam Gallagher? Do you, do you kind of? It, I, I've been making it bigger and bigger all right, the time. It's right. gone out of control now. Yeah. <laughs> it's good. Uh, I've got one of those digital Mellotrons. Oh yeah, the um, Memotron. No, it's actually. It's Mellotron, but it's by it's a Swedish guy who I think bought the name. Right. But he actually cool. makes full Mellotrons. Cool. Uh, makes a five thousand quid analog one with tape in it. Wow. Well, I, but I then he also some... does a digital one. That's he did a gig uh, with Jan at a festival where the Kooks were playing on the main stage. They're on everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> I thought they were done. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then you go to festivals abroad and it's like you're playing with the stones. It's yeah. like, oh, the kooks are on. Did you say, <laughs> did you say they were done? Yeah, yeah. I, I thought they were done. Yeah, they are. I don't think they were done. But they had a they had an actual <laughs> they had a Mellotron on stage at a festival, which just seemed quite insanely uh no, it's that decadent yeah. rock and roll star stuff that only the kooks abroad can play. <laughs> yeah, the kooks know. abroad. I mean, just, you know, yeah. play, oh, I don't know. I don't, I, don't, I don't want to slag off other people's bands. But it seemed a little bit excessive. It's the kooks, though. We're on about the kooks. Yeah, yeah, yeah I think that's all right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Fine. They don't listen. Uh, no. Liam stuff how's the Beatles kind of making their influence felt with that are you involved in any of the songwriting elements of that uh no no I'm I, I get to do some of the recordings with him but mm. I mean it's he is a he's obviously a Beatles fan it's well documented yeah, but yeah. he's more of a John Lennon fan than anything, yeah yeah you know? and he's like he's really he really knows his solo Lennon stuff mm. inside out if you turned up you know and played him something that sounded like Love Me Do for his next album, you know. And if anybody tries to turn up with anything too obvious, I think he just thinks it's ridiculous. Yeah, right. Um, He's definitely, his vocal but, quality is quite similar to Lennon. Yeah, so. and when, when you, I mean, he's, he's, he's like, if you get in a studio with him, I mean, he's a brilliant singer live in that, you know, he, he comes out with an attitude mm. that, that people love, but when you get him in the studio and he, he sings a little bit quieter, right? It increases his range and mm. just the quality of it as an instrument. And yeah, the first time I was in the room when he started singing in the studio, you know, I just, I, 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 it was just that rare moment where you, you realize you're just with a really world class singer. Wow. Mm. And, uh, you know, it, the quality of it was almost like John Lennon was in the room or something. Wow. Not exactly the same, but yeah, it's a bit more powerful and guttural. Yeah, than that, like I remember watching um, uh, Neb Nebworth um, after a few cans uh, a while ago. <laughs> Just watched the whole <laughs> Nebworth gig, and um, his vocal on it is like, uh, like there are bits of it where he sounds like Kurt Cobain. You know, he's like properly yeah. kind of screaming and, at certain points, and it, he does have that real power, like, like because it's kind of that punk quality as well. You know, he's one of those people. His voice is actually. 
really loud as well. Just, yeah. It's got it's got such a resonant, sonorous quality about it that you just sort of like if you're having a drink and you start arguing about something, it's like you're having a bad dream. <laughs> you know, you know when you can't cry out in a dream, you're like, bleh, bleh, and he's going like, ah, you know, it's just he, it's just such a thick, high quality voice. Wow. Yeah. Compared to my pathetic little <laughs> tombre block nose <laughs> yeah. i always remember his cover when oasis used to regularly cover out i am the walrus oh, yeah. and that was like kind of what we we're talking about like oh yeah. right it's like john lennon but it's like john lennon times you know without the yeah. double tracking times 10 sort of thing it really belts yeah, it yeah. out doesn't matter if it's out of tune yeah <laughs> he's, he, he's amazing in the studio it's like and uh, yeah Pe people always think now see all these forum conversations about what kind of technical trickery is going on, but it's like he actually just is good. Mm. Yeah, naturally good. And I know he's had bad points in, in, in the past where it's gone a bit more and probably he's been drinking and smoking more. It's like 90% of singers. Yeah. You know, the voice. I've met a few over, over the years who seem to be able to just smoke and drink and have no effect whatsoever on them, but most of them, you know. If they only get two hours sleep, they lose half the range, don't they? Mm. It feels like he's taking it a little bit more seriously, like in the last couple of years. Like, as oh, he's he definitely getting on a does. Bit he really does, and it's like yeah. that MTV unplugged thing. Because in my quote-unquote real job, I worked a bit on that. Um, did you play on that up in Hull? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And his voice in that is like pretty stunning. Yeah, it's a great gig. I mean, the the, the end product is. I mean, I think for everybody who was there, it was a really amazing occasion, but I don't think they would have heard it like it's turned out yeah. as an album because on the night you could just hear the crowd right, just <laughs> singing along with everything wow. so loud. And that's a number one record then, right? Yeah, wow. this week, yeah. That's brilliant. Congratulations. Yeah, Yeah, amazing. well, that's the first. I mean, I've been on all three of his number one records now, but this is the first one where I feel like it's a genuine involvement yeah. it was a gig we all did yeah that's brilliant um, it was great do you have a controversial Beatles opinion like an album that you actually don't rate or a song that you think is not very good uh, I think that people who go around saying Revolver's the best album are twats really yeah. <laughs> But I don't necessarily think that Revolver's not the best album. Right. I just think that people who say that are twats. Is, <laughs> is there anything you don't like about Revolver then? Or is it just like, do you think no, they're all... No, I love Revolver. Right. I think it might be the best album. <laughs> but you just self-twatted. <laughs> I, mean, I hate people who go around saying that, like, this is the one to listen to. Right, because you think Beatles. it's kind of like a music a kind of snobby thing where it's like... Yeah, it's a yeah. fucking, you know, it's a sort of like... Q writers sort of like right top 50 albums you must hear and yeah. you know at number mm. two is probably something by klf and <laughs> they've got they've got revolver at one but they didn't put the white album in right just yeah. to show you like there what do you think about that i didn't yeah. even fucking bother with the white album so i've only put one beatles album in or it'll be at number six and they'll have the new york dolls at one right just like <laughs> you know just fuck off you wouldn't seriously just put beatles albums in the top 10 <laughs> Didn't Daniel Johnston um, ask to list his favourite albums and they were all, ten of them were Beatles albums? I, think. <laughs> I can believe that, yeah. 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 
He was devastated when he found out he didn't sound like them. Yeah. Actually, but this, <laughs> I didn't mean to do this, but you did play with Daniel Johnson, didn't you? I did, yeah. yeah. Just um, Well, I, I played with him over the course of a weekend, so I did like did a Thursday night session with him. So this Mark was with Riley. the earlies, right? Yeah. yeah. We all turned up, well, all the English earlies turned up for it. Mm. And, uh, and then on, on the Friday, we did a gig with him in Manchester. And then on the Sunday, we did a festival uh, in somewhere. What is there in sort of near Oxford? Um, Truck. Truck. Wilderness. No. Wilderness. Yeah. Is that one? That's near yeah, Oxford. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So three days, three playing occasions, and he definitely didn't recognize me from one day to the next. <laughs> and were you, you were learning his songs, though? And kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. Did a full set of them. Wow. I can't remember what was in it, really. Yeah. But. They sort of send you an email before you play with him saying the, these are the songs that bands tend to play with him. Mm. Could do any of these. and But you, I guess you wouldn't have rehearsed the ones it. that he liked. Right. You don't know. You don't rehearse in that sense. But we spent like an hour all together in the Six Music Studio sort of um, rehearsing a couple of his tunes up. Wow. And Speeding Motorcycle was going to be the first one. Yeah. And we got together an intro for it for him to then come in afterwards. And he walked into the room at one minute to seven before we went on air. And we just said said to him what we were going to do. And he's like, all right, all right. And then halfway through the counting, he just started singing. And we all just had to join in around him. And yeah, I, fa- I found it on YouTube the other day. It's a really shambolic start. Yeah. Well, that's it sort of suits suits the job. Yeah. yeah. So what do you mean when you said that he was upset when he didn't sound like the Beatles? Like, do you, uh, you mean well, discovering his sound or like when he's actually... Yeah, yeah. Right. I think he always assumed that he would, because he was so into them. And it's mm. quite a high bar to set yourself, though, isn't it? <laughs> it is. <laughs> and, you know, it never works for anybody to try and sound too like them, does it? It's like, yeah. I mean, people always reckon that Oasis sound like them, but, you know, Oasis borrow things from them, but they sound nothing like them. Yeah. Oasis sound more like Slade than... Yeah, Slade, Slade is definitely really. a thing. But some of Noel... Gallagher's melodies have got that Lennon thing where it's staying on kind of one note yeah. kind of thing. It's the chords as well, isn't it? Like yeah. you can go into a you know, a major three chord or a minor four or there's just lots of little mm. Beatles tricks in there. Um mm. I remember when I was learning Beatles songs, you know, I had the 
Beatles for acoustic guitar book. And whenever it was nice. Lennon's song, it was like my first introduction to, I guess, like non-regular time and stuff. I noticed that because yeah. Lennon's always kind of dropping a bar of two, four in or, you know, yeah. there's lots of kind of unusual things like that. And, and also going to unusual minors where you wouldn't expect it and things. And that, so it's like the first introduction to music and thinking about music and playing music where it was like you're going outside of kind of what you knew, I think, you know, yeah. from having just learnt bar chords or whatever, you know. <laughs> yeah, I think he was such an insti- instinctive rule breaker yeah but a lot of yeah. those like a lot of his melodies are because then the range is re- relatively limited but he sort of his r- rhythms are kind of rhythms of speech yeah definitely. like paul mccartney will write words to fit a melody yeah, paul, yeah. he's more of a kind of stream of consciousness totally like i mean strawberry fields is probably one of just my favorite lennon melodies i mean the you know the it's such a weird yeah. melody but it sounds yeah. very like like something you'd hear in a dream it's almost like this completely instinctive melody you know it's, it's of... really hard to think about because they've all become such established everyday british sounds and sounds yeah. for musicians that like imagine in a world before anybody's heard strawberry fields yeah it's a hard thing to do but it's like everything about that record's just it, I don't believe in God for a second, but I, I think he had something to do with Strawberry Field. Yeah. Like, to think that they could record two versions yeah, well, at slightly different tempos in different keys <laughs> and then just just fit them together. Oh, that works. It's, oh. And as soon as you hear that fact, it just sticks out like a sore thumb, I think, now. Like, as soon as I heard that, it's like Lennon's voice sounds so slowed down in the second half, doesn't it? It's really noticeably slowed down. That's that period where they were just like, you know, I think you've just wanted them to record 24 hours a day because there was so much magic happening seemingly without much effort because they were just on such a roll. And I think that's probably where another kind of Oasis comparison comes in because that sort of period, I don't think there was another certainly British songwriter who wrote that that quality for such a sustained amount of time Mm. as Noel Gallagher did in those like three years of those early oasis tunes for them it's a might like you know it probably didn't last but one thing we were talking about the other day was if you could um if you had the power to go back in time and keep the beatles going for another 10 years would you have rather or would you rather have them just like called it a day and quit in uh, 1970 i think it's good it's good that it stopped where it did because the the the, the uh there's no more perfect an end to a career than Abbey Road. Mm. Yeah, that's true. And finishing a record like that with the end. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, and, and which is a, a perfect last statement for any band. And then, just in case it got a bit too serious, put in Her Majesty yeah. just after it. <laughs> that's perfect. That's the perfect end to a career. Yeah. And then, if you keep the Beatles going, you probably never get All Things Must Pass. Mm. Yeah, that's true. Which is the best post-Beatles yeah. Solo career album. Amazing. I I I love all the solo stuff, and I don't think, I think if they'd have kept going, they just would never have had that mythical status. Mm. Yeah, they'd have just been one of those fixtures that's around forever. Like that, it would have took one of them to die for anybody to care about. Yeah, them. we were talking last um, week about the idea that if they were in the eighties, and can you imagine a Beatles? kind of with 80s production and 80s chorus guitars or something. Yeah, yeah. it's all, all those bands that didn't break up just end up just making a few where you just wish they hadn't. Yeah, um, yeah. it's hard enough to listen to those um, 
free as a bird ones. I like free as a bird actually. Yeah, I, I, I like love them, but I just hate the way that they sound. I just, I don't know why. Um, they, they sound like needed yellow. to make them sound like yellow. Exactly. <laughs> they just sound too. I would have preferred them to do it in like a kind of retroy way. Um, yeah. Back and no. remember waiting for that to come on on the on the night it was released, and thinking, oh, I hope. Because I don't know if I was expecting it to sound like McCartney's Flowers in the Dirt album or something like that. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Figure of eight. <laughs> just some, some rocking good time tunes. Well, like we that. had that in the, on cassette in the car, Flowers in the Dirt. <laughs> it's fine, like, yeah, but I just fine. didn't want the Beatles to come back sounding yeah. like yeah. that. There's a great bit yeah. in the anthology extras where they're recording Free as a Bird and you can see like Paul is so excited that um, yeah. him and him and Ringo are just like absolutely over the moon talking about like it's a, it's like a Beatles record it's like it's here and it cuts to George and it goes well of course it's going to sound like them if it is them <laughs> so, so nonplussed by the whole thing which probably summed up the attitude um, yeah I like uh, I I think all things must pass you could see them working that maybe into like a Beatles record, but it definitely is better that it was on its own, but it's all living in material world is my favorite solo album actually. Mm. Which, well, uh, I mean, I, I end up, end up leaning to the wings ones a lot. I have to be careful though. That's not a cool answer. I really love, I love band on the run. Uh, I, lo I love Venus and Mars. I, I was going to say, I remember having a conversation with you about like, what's your, cause I think we did a tour when we were playing in the revival hour about what was your yeah. favorite Christmas song and, and I think we all agreed we liked the Paul McCartney Christmas song. Oh, really? Oh, simply having wonderful a... Christmas time. Yeah, yeah. Because oh, CS eighty. Yeah, oh, we're not we're not we're not nerding out on gear, but, but it's yeah. got a mm -hmm. and, and you pointed out that the delay isn't in time, which I can always hear. Yeah. <laughs> have I ruined it? Ruined it for you? Yeah, no, it's fine. <laughs> but like, because I think the the goal was to not try and be cool and not say like the low Christmas album or something, but like, what's a good Christmas no. song you like? And... We, we, I yeah. think that was one we were in agreement on, which she actually quite liked. It's such a weird first line, isn't it? The moon is right. Yeah. <laughs> Can't argue with that, Paul. Yeah. 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 Somebody who's written so many lyrics, they know that they're not going to be made or broken by it. <laughs> yeah, Fine. yeah. The moon's right. The moon's right. Yeah. <laughs> but those Wings records, it's interesting because I saw him at uh, the O2 at Christmas time, which I kind of was really nervous about because... Every, I, every time I see him, I'm like, right, he's so good. That is the last time I'm going to see him because he's only going to sort of get worse. And he was yeah. absolutely belting um, a yeah. few months ago. But he played a lot of wing stuff. Um, and I think a lot of that does deserve a bit of reassessment. Um, and, and, and a lot of 80s stuff as well. That I think when John Lennon died, there was kind of a backlash against Paul almost for just the fact that he survived and that, you yeah. know, his 80s stuff gets really kind of maligned. Mm. Yeah, you watch the outpouring the day that Paul McCartney dies. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> exactly. I, I know everyone sort of knows he's a genius now, but yeah. I, he's sort of damned for his enthusiasm. Yeah. He's like, yeah. he's so shamelessly happy to be a Beatle. Yeah. And he loves music so much and he's happy to turn up and tell anecdotes and do a song. You know, yeah. you wouldn't have got jo John Lennon going around Liverpool with James Corden. No. <laughs> you know, it, it's like, McCartney, McCartney will, he'll be McCartney all day yeah. long for people. I yeah. do worry about what John Lennon would, would be like now, you know, because Sean, I, I follow Sean Lennon on uh, 
like Instagram and stuff. And Sean Lennon almost gets a little bit conspiracy theory, libertarian style, a little Ooh, bit Jordan right. Peterson-y. I kind of wonder if John Lennon would have gone full-blown kind of red pill kind of, you know. I, he, I, yeah. he could have done, but it's like, it seemed like he was in a in, in a very good place when he yeah. when he died. Like yeah. he'd, uh, you know, he'd grown into the person he was going to be yeah. just, just before he, he, he got taken out, you know. Yeah, it's, yeah. Pe- people like artsy mystery from people so much people to be cool and standoffish and they, they, they struggle to deal with the, the fact that McCartney is, is, has got like a Spaniel's enthusiasm. Yeah. Music. It's like, you know, there's people who can play that game. Like somebody like Prince just understood like how to be a sort of complete bell end with the press and, yeah. <laughs> and fans and everything, yeah. you know, yeah. and uh, I, I mean, the more I read about Prince, I just think he, he just understood it and he was having a laugh. You yeah, know, like, yeah. Even when yeah. he was going on about chemtrails and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. Like, but that's yeah. weird, though, isn't it? What happens to, so, so, so like, Kate Bush, uh, you know, she yeah. didn't play live for ages. So when she announced gigs, it was a huge event. Whereas, like, yeah. Robert Plant has just almost quietly been carrying on making new music and gigging regularly. And yeah. It's like less of the a fuss new... isn't there. Yeah, there's no kind mm. of fuss in it, around it. It's kind of weird how it becomes. A, that story takes over. Oh, they're so mysterious. But, you know, just... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and when John and Lennon started making records that were not up to scratch, he just kind of stopped, whereas Paul, you know, he was so Worked prolific. Through it. And, you, <laughs> know, yeah. you get his 80s period. When looking back on it now, it's actually like, well, you know, you were... You, he never sort of stood still and went back to making, like, a, you know, full rock and roll album produced by Phil Spector or whatever. He made Temporary Secretary. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> temporary secretary. The problem is for these guys as well is, you know, whether it's McCartney or Brian Wilson or you know, they, they get they, they don't get compared. Like you, you can you can take a week that a new McCartney album comes out and it'll get three stars in the Observer or something mm. next to something that's obviously shitter. Yeah. That's getting yeah. four or five. But McCartney's not being judged against the other records out that week. He's being judged against... Right. You know, Eleanor Rigby. Eleanor Rigby. <laughs> or, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Yesterday. Have you met Paul Christian? Uh, no. No, oh, I haven't. I, I, Charlie, who does all the filming for Liam, um, invited me to one of those gigs on that last tour that you must have gone to. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was in the middle of a rehearsal with Liam and the gig was in Liverpool and Charlie's like, you should come up to this, put you on the guest list. And then I said, oh, give it to somebody else. I don't think I'll make it. And then the rehearsal finished two minutes after I gave it up and I could have easily made it. (laughs) But I I have seen him once in Manchester and it was absolutely amazing. Oh, cool. Um, But I don't think there's any use in me meeting any Beatles. I don't think I've got any, you know... I can't tell them that I'm more of a fan than anybody else they've talked to. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, in a way, it's my worst nightmare What yeah. I'd, uh, if I was actually confronted with uh, one of them. But it's like whatever way you think you're going to play it, they've had it done to them. Yeah. You know, yeah. if you're going to act like you didn't, you'd never heard of the Beatles, they've seen that done. And if you're going to act like you're the biggest fan of all time, they've seen that done. 
Yeah. Or if you go up and tell them that you loved Wilson Pickett's version of Hey Jude, that's yeah. been done. Yeah. Yeah. So there's nothing, there's nothing you got to pull on them. And it's very unlikely that Paul's going to be like, oh, you seem pretty cool. Do you want to come back to my house and I'll show you how <laughs> I my friend. Hey Jude. I mean, I see this. <laughs> I see this with, with Liam and like people get in touch with me online and stuff and just like, I just want to meet him. Can you sort it out? And it's like, it's not gonna. It's not. I mean, I don't say this to them. I should, but it's a, you know, he's not gonna just hear that you like, uh, you know, Parkers and Man City yeah. and yeah, invite yeah. you on yeah. holiday with him. It's like. My my question um, is: Did the did did the Beatles exist? Which is um, kind of question <laughs> where we're talking about. I sometimes think that the Beatles were too good and that, that it was probably... Oh, do you know, did you ever read Dirk Gently? Yeah, I love Dirk Gently, yeah. And at the end, they've been... Did they go to another world where there's melodies floating in the air and then they come back? Yeah. And somebody's playing a Bach cello suite. That's right, yeah. What's that? And it turns out they just snuck, snuck them into history. Oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Obviously, no person could have composed all that. Yeah, they yeah. Just thought we'd stick it in. But that's the kind of thing mm. I'm going for, is like, they, they were so good and the progression was so incredible. But some so this part... is a Matrix-style Yeah, plant. yeah. It makes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Is that... It does seem almost impossible. <laughs> and it's like, when you first get in a band and you think, oh, we'll be really creative and everything that you could possibly come up with, like, oh, we'll try some different instruments or... We'll turn some stuff backwards, or yeah. we'll uh, you know open a book and just pull random words from it. Any any creative thing you think you've got, they've done. Yeah, yeah, it's true. It's like there's no corners left to root around in. Isn't there? So, <laughs> yeah, they've done they've done very well at managing the legacy as well. Um, mm. It's like they don't turn up on shitty sort of best of the '60s compilations, and then like somebody like Hendrix, I always think. He's had like such a money hungry estate. Yeah. Anytime he went anywhere near a tape recorder, that's been put out on a CD of yeah. some sort. And so there's lots of meaningless Hendrix there is jams. A lot of like, that's a really interesting point about legacy, isn't it? Because like, say the Kinks. I mean, like, you know, obviously I love the Kinks, but I think Dave Davis, right? I follow him on Instagram. I love Dave <laughs> Davis. But it's just, I sort of wish he wasn't on Instagram because sometimes it's just like a really blurry photo of him going, like, you know, I'm having. I'm going for a foul today, or something. Like that. You know, it's so just... he likes curry as well. Yeah, yeah. Another band that were then went on to record all through the '80s and stuff, and then yeah, you know, and go downhill in a very documented fashion. Yeah, yeah. And some of the album covers were just like so bad for the Kinks. Kinks. Yeah, yeah. That one about yeah, is a... it about the naughty school children or something? The cover is it's kind of a, it, it was difficult for the Kinks because they sort of got robbed of their prime, yeah, because of the sort of musicians' union disputes in America. So then they only really got to cash in in the 80s, yeah, that's true, by doing the stadium tours over there. And there's, there's also like it's just really interesting reading. So, do you know the 33 and a third book series? Yeah, I haven't read any of them, but no, I, they're I know quite good. The, the one about village green preservation is, um written by Andy Miller, who presents the Backlisted podcast, which is really good. But he, he just makes a really good point that Village Green kind of is, you know, didn't make it much of a dent because it was just really badly no. marketed. Like, they changed yeah. the track listing around. And, like, by the time it came out, 
you know, Sergeant Pepper had happened, so people didn't really want this kind of like suburban yeah. observation, like Little England kind of thing. They were thinking more globally. So it's just weird how, I mean, that's such a great album, but it just didn't have that epoch defining thing because, yeah, you know, someone. There's a lot of things that we now reassess in terms of the Beatles' career's place in history. So yeah. it's like, it's really hard to understand how Odyssey and Oracle by the Zombies, you know, yeah. isn't in the same kind of yeah. status league as Sgt. Pepper. Yeah, I love that album. <clears throat> mm. You know, I, I absolutely love that album. And it's a real sort of high point of 60s psychedelia. And uh, the, the, there's not many bands we're writing with a sense of harmony that Rod Argent had. Mm. Was he but, the pianist? The keyboard. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He went on to be in Argent. Right. <laughs> but yeah, but, uh, some of the chords are so interesting. Like I love Hung Up on Dream on that album, which is yeah, kind of weird. Very, um, the Beach Boys are the obvious parallel, aren't they? Yeah. Like, um, but there's something so English about them, kind of. Yeah. But any sort of documentary about music in the 60s would kind of have you believe that the only people writing records were the Beatles and the Beach Boys. And yeah. then, yeah, you know, yeah. a little bit of that. There's a, you know, I feel very sorry for the Kinks and lots of other bands of that period. And also there's a sort of overlap that you get in the kind of music that was being made in 60, especially 68, 69, mm. where yeah. they're, they're so in the shadow of the breakup of the Beatles and stuff. Mm. It's weird yeah. to think that like Led Zeppelin one predates like Abbey Road and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I don't even think about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That is weird. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Mm. Take them to school. If you could play for an hour with one Beatle in their pl- prime in the studio, which one would you choose? I reckon George. Mm. Uh, I, I've only, I've never thought of that before, though. Yeah. But then he had Billy Preston, so he would have just been like, um, where's my regular keyboard player? <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I, I mean, and then you could say John, but then John had a real range of people, didn't he? Yeah. Um, Who's the guy who plays the keys on Imagine? Well, uh, that's Nicky Hopkins does yeah. most of it. Uh, He's got some lovely stuff in, like um, Oh My Love and stuff, where he plays that. Yeah, um, I and mean, he does the, the Jealous piano. Guy intro. He plays on a lot of kink stuff as well, Nicky Hopkins. Oh, right, cool. Made a lot of those records. He, he, and he plays the solo on Revolution. Uh, played on a lot of Stone stuff. He's a great player. Mm. Yeah, they were mucked up with good opportunities. I don't, like... It's hard to know where you'd be useful to them, really. Maybe out of all of them, I'd be the most used mm. to John um, in a studio situation. But that's sort of like um, assuming that Nicky Hopkins has broken his hand or something. <laughs> like that. So yeah. It's very hard to insert yourself in history, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. What's so great about that stuff, maybe I know it better because it's documented so well in that documentary, but because John Lennon always plays quite low down in the register. Yeah. There's so much space up top for to, I saw that like, one. noodle Was around. Was it on last stuff. year? The Imagine, yeah, what's, it called? what's the name of it? But the one where, yeah, he's writing, like, How Do You Sleep? And, he was doing Imagine, uh, and Nicky Hopkins was doing this quite flowery part over the top of it. And, yeah, yeah, which said. I actually think sounded better, actually, personally. Well, it's a quite well, well-established well record now, Imagine, <laughs> isn't it? So yeah. Sounded a bit weird. So all of you, and you've got a lot of gigs that have been cancelled with Liam, but are they going to be re- rescheduled? Are you going to be back on tour at the end of the year next year? I hope so. I mean, um, 
think so, all the British festivals, they seem to be moving to next year. Mm. Um, but then we had stuff like, we had a tour of South America and uh, an Asian tour. And I don't know if they're, uh, I don't know if they're going to get rescheduled or what. Here's hoping. But we're probably, uh, yeah. And you've been releasing your own music as well. You've got an album on Bandcamp. You just I, I've done two. Cool. I've done two. Yeah. Released to a deafening silence. <laughs> but yeah, tell, <laughs> tell us about them. We'll, we'll plug plug them. I just sort of uh, in the middle of. Um, I, I I did my first one before before I joined Liam's band, and then I thought I'll try having a solo career doing organ instrumentals mm. of the you know Billy Preston Booker T kind of style that I've always liked. Yeah. But I did one, and then I got this job, and it took my life up, really. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but then, sort of in between tours, I, I wrote another one, and I've just I've just released it in the middle of this lockdown, and I, I would like to gig that stuff someday. I think I'm going to put it out on vinyl as well, actually. Oh, nice. Which yeah. again, nice. I'm going to limit the amount of those I press up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's only so many beds we could get them under. And they don't sell, but, you know. Yeah, um, and will that be available on? I, I put everything out on Bandcamp. Yeah, great. Mark Riley played it at la- last night. Actually, oh great, so cool. that was oh, good. Nice. That felt pretty mainstream. Amazing. So, what's the album called? Understand the rules. Lovely. But I like titles that sound like they're shouting at you. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Cool. Well, oh. thank you so much for doing this, Christian. It's been wicked to talk to yeah, you. Thank and, you. Uh, very insightful. And enjoy, yeah, the rest of your summer. I could have gone on, you know. So that was Christian Madden there talking about his own personal Beatles. It was a lovely episode. Lots of lovely reminiscences. I think um, playing John Lennon and Mark David Chapman in the playground <laughs> is. <laughs> Very unusual story. It did make me laugh, but uh, somewhat macabre. But yeah, that was great. It was really good. I love how um, I I love this with all the guests we talk to. Uh, You know, we start off talking to them, and there's this point where they start to get a bit misty-eyed when they're talking about Beatles, and that's it's a lovely moment to capture that. I think. Yeah, I mean, it's so evocative, isn't it? And. you know, he, he was so great to talk to. And if you want to hear any of his uh, music, the stuff that he records under his own name is available on Spotify and various other platforms and yeah. really worth checking out. Yeah, we should also plug his Bandcamp page because he's releasing a lot of stuff uh, on Bandcamp and he's recorded stuff in lockdown, hasn't he? So his Bandcamp page is christianmadden.bandcamp.com and his latest album is Understand the Rules which is Great. really, really good. Um, well, that was really enjoyable. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed it as much as we did, you can go to Apple Podcasts or Acast and leave us a nice five-star review. It really does help uh, new listeners find the show, so it's uh, you know very important. So sorry to harp on about it, but we're going to. We'll be back next week with another fantastic episode, so see you next Tuesday. Cheerio. Your Own Personal Beatles is presented by Jack Pelling and Robin Allender. The podcast artwork is done by Morgan Ritchie. It's produced by me, Jack Pelling, and is a Homespun Sounds production. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... 
Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.